I, I, I say to you, if you know, first of all, we don't use the word that much. We don't run around saying, wow, um, John's really holy, which is great. Um, but if we do use the word, how, how do we, uh, uh, can you give some examples of what pops to mind if I said, wow, that person's really holy? Like, what, what pops to mind? Religious. Sorry, oh, religious. Yep. And holier than thou. Metallica, yes. Um, yes, right? So, it, typically, not a positive connotation. Um, uh, and and with, with regard to God, um, if, if someone, if you if we're in normal conversation and we, we, the topic of God's holiness comes up, what do people typically, what pops into mind when we think about, um, oh, you go to church, you know, you believe in that there is a God, and, and then I were to say to my friend, yes, and not only do I believe there's a God, God is holy. Like, what does a normal person do with that, what would you say? Not a trick question, just whatever whatever pops to mind. Yeah, why is that? I, I think what you were touching on before, that, that holy tends not to be used in a positive term. It's more of a derogatory term. <laughs> and I think the culture more and more is responding that way. Hmm. So I'm not sure that that necessarily answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I think at the outset, as we dive into some definitions, we just have to be mindful that we're not coming at these, even our terminology with a clean slate, right? It's tainted. Um, um, But so I want to just take a minute and put down two of the lenses that theologians typically use when they try to uh, put handles on God's holiness so that we can discuss it. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually add a little bonus of my own. Um, so I'm glad this is being recorded so that I can be dragged before the elders. And uh, <laughs> they can be like, hey, no, you're, you wandered off the farm. Um, so the, the first one is... Um, kind of springs from the definition of holy, which is that God is set apart. He is, I like to think of this in terms of ontology, in terms of being, the essence of, of being. So we, we all have an ontology, right? We, we all have a, a being. So we're already into words and trying to use words, and we're going to have to grapple a little. Um, that God, in the essence of his being, is set apart. He is unique. He is sacred. He is other. He stands alone. He has no equivalent or rival. These are ways that I'm trying to put a little meat on the bone. Um, So when we speak of God's holiness, we're talking about his 
essence and not an aspect. So sometimes when we talk about God's attributes, we talk about communicable attributes and non-communicable attributes. Just a fancy way of saying some of God's attributes, uh, uh, human beings, for example, can share in. And then others of God's attributes belong to him alone. And then when we're talking about holiness, and my way of thinking is like, we're, we're, uh, our default is to think of it as the non-communicable attributes. Uh, so we, um, we might think about, like I said earlier, that God, just by the fact that God created everything and then everything else besides God is derivative and gets its, um, its being from God. If you're a toaster oven, you've got your, your being from God. If you're um, Sam Stevens, you've got, you got your being from God. Um, but God didn't get his being, his, he just is, right? So this is a good time to actually pause and just say, we are going to bump up against a ton of mystery. Uh, I think really whenever we deal with, the, whenever we get real with what the scriptures teach about just about any topic, we're going to bump up against our limitations as created human beings. Um, and this is, this is just one of those places. So I'd like to just fire off... Um, a few passages for you that will be familiar um, just to give us a little flavor of Scripture, how Scripture refers to this God. Another way we might say it just in common talk is God is God. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain why I'm going to simplify it down to that as we move along. So God is God. So here's some of the way scripture talks, and this will be familiar to you. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens of the earth, uh, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Okay, so the first uh, category, if you will, when we talk about God's holiness is his set apartedness. The second category is what we think of when we think of a holy roller or when we when we did our little exercise, we're like, what pops into mind? Well, we think about someone that's just always follows the rules and is a good, you know, it's, is a goody-goody. Um, if, uh, uh, if we look at it negatively. But God is holy. He's set apart morally with regard to what he does and his actions. So... We might use terms like goodness and 
virtuous, perfect, always does what is right, always does what is just, faithful, morally upright. And here are some passages for us to think about. The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and in him there is no unrighteousness. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation each day. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So, God is good. God is God, and God is good. He is morally, he's not just good, he is goodness. He's not just good, he's perfectly good. Um, and this includes, the Bible teaches, that when God demonstrates wrath, or when God demonstrates judgment against sin, or when God exercises his freedom to choose a course of action over another course of action, or to choose a person for a particular calling, or even for their eternal destiny. The Bible teaches that God is good, he is right, he is never capricious, never doing evil, never harming someone else's autonomy. So now we're kind of getting into, we, we touched on this, Tyler touched on this a little bit last week, but we're getting into um, some territory where questions may arise. And um, I want to talk about those in a bit. But I want to go on to my third bonus that is sort of hovering around this discussion. And I just want to say that I think we can talk about God's holiness in terms of him being set apart aesthetically with regard to his glory. So you can hardly pick up a paragraph of Scripture and not encounter the, the overflowing, grasping for words to even describe the glory of God. And I think when we're talking about holiness, we, we should have glory in mind because it's the, what we're not doing here is a cold exercise of science. We're dealing with ultimately, mysteriously, a God who is also a person. We have feelings because God has feelings. We have emotions because God has emotions. And we think something's amazing, and we just are overwhelmed because there is a thing called glory. And it's part of God's set-apartness. We could use words like 
weightiness or worthiness or magnificence or great beauty or value is a terrible word actually because it sounds like Walmart but you know you know value a theologian who I like said the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness it is the going public of his holiness I really kind of like that was John Piper um, I really kind of like that formulation. So uh, the, these are sort of the three um, um, ways, I think, that just to have the discussion. And um, now I want to talk uh, about how God's holiness, when we talk about God's holiness, we're not doing so in a vacuum, right? We are not innocent creatures that are analyzing God's holiness, and it's point one, two, three, four, we're doing it in a context. And our context is where we find ourselves on the timeline of God's redemptive history. And that means, as we all know, and we talk about all the time, that God's holiness... And our sin and our rebellion and our lack of acknowledging God as God and our lack of bending the knee to God and saying, you are good. And when we encounter God's glory... Uh, we, we want our own glory, right? Going all the way back to the beginning of the story. So what I, what I want to do now is just acknowledge there's a huge, huge chasm between God and human beings. This is obvious, right? But... Uh, because if we're thinking about God's holiness, obviously we could talk of a lot more about digging into what it is. But I think it'd be fruitful in, the, in this class as we're just encountering the attributes of God to say, okay, well, why does this matter to us? Um, so I want to say all human beings experience this chasm, not just Christians. In fact, many of us here, some of us here never knew a day when we wouldn't have called ourselves a Christian. But many of us here had seasons of our life where, where we were uh, far away and had been brought near. So I want to I take a second and just open up to the room. How do human beings experience this chasm? In what ways do we good, if we're going to think in these terms, good ways? Like, have you ever eaten an apple? Like, the apple just magically grew on a tree. And 
somewhere, somehow, that thing came into being, maybe by pure chance, but maybe not. Because it's delicious. It comes with its own wrapper. Grows from a seed, magically. But, and then there are a lot of bad or hard ways we encounter this holiness. So I, I wanted to just ask, how do we as human beings, not necessarily Christians, encounter this holiness and encounter the chasm? How do we feel the chasm? Or do we, do, or do we feel it? Laura. Um, what comes to mind is um, when we see things in nature that we can't really take in we, it, on a dark night, if there were such a thing in this part of the country, but the, <laughs> to see those stars and to see, like, there's no way I could even begin to count them. Or to stand, it comes from me standing on the edge of the ocean and realizing it goes for thousands of miles and it's deeper than I can imagine. Or standing at something like the Grand Canyon. Just things that are, we can't, we can't take it in. It's too big. Yeah, and I think it touches on, if, we, if part of God's holiness is that he created, and we, there's the creator, whatever, I don't even want to make a ball, like whatever that is, and then there's all of us and everything in the Grand Canyon and the ocean and the whales and the poppins. I mean, they're amazing. Um, what else? What else do we experience in our normal life where we feel the chasm? We feel it. You don't have to be a Christian. Yes? I think it, it also happens in grief. When we've loved someone deeply and they're taken out of our lives and we, we stand at the edge of a train and say, how can life go on without Where did that person go? Mm-hmm. They were, they weren't a commodity. They, they were a being and now they're not here. Where, where did they go? It's like literally being on the edge of the chasm. Matt? In a very different way, um, I'm going to suggest something. uh, uh, Separateness, you've mentioned, and goodness as, you know, ways of looking at holiness. Uh, Both of which, I think, tend to be at odds with our society's value of tolerance. Um, and when somebody, a Christian or non-Christian, you know, has a sense that, uh, ah, you know, God is different than me, and, and he says, I'm not good. Uh, uh, I have failed uh, to uh, mm-hmm. be what I should be. Uh, I'm not accepted. Uh, by God, then hmm. the sinful rebelliousness uh, hmm. is, you know, mounts up and wants to reject that. And, mm-hmm. and either acknowledging the chasm that God, if he's there, has created, mm-hmm. or our rejection of, of mm-hmm. such an idea that would reject us. 
I would like to re-say back to you what I heard, which is, first of all, there's guilt. There is guilt because in our hearts, regardless of, there's, there's guilt because we know we do bad stuff. There you go. That's fifth grade version. Then there's the reordering of what good is and the chaos that ensues when, when, we, when, hum, when people take hold of um, the, their consciences and say, um, you know, they, they, re, they reorder right and wrong, and it's just, it's just chaos ensues. You know, it's another way I think we all encounter this chasm is that God doesn't come down on Wednesday. God has revealed a lot, you know, in his scriptures. But out there in the workaday world and the people who are ignoring the scriptures or even those of us that have them, we're, let's face it, I mean, we're confused about a lot of stuff. And there's the chasm. I mean, obviously, God could just come down and one day perhaps will. And it's just like, ooh, with this light, that clears up a lot. You know, but right now, I'm going to murder my own baby because I want freedom. Sorry, but I'm just saying, like, there's ways we all get everything all confused because there's a separate, a, a, a God is at a distance in a way, you know. What else? What about death? You were kind of hitting on it a little. Um, have you ever been to a funeral? Um, I had this experience where Mona lost a, a grandparent, and and it was just devastating. And they were wonderful. He was a wonderful man, and uh, and I, I remember talking to his daughter after the service, and I said, "This just isn't right. It is just not." how things are supposed to be. And I honestly thought that that was a human, she wasn't a believer at all, and I, I just thought that's, that's human when we see death or we see someone get a horrible disease when they're young and, you know, there's that part of us that's just like, no! You know, um, well, she actually replied, this is completely natural. This is completely normal. And if you were to embrace that, then you wouldn't be sad right now. You would just say, this is the, whatever the Disney thing is, the circle of life, whatever. But the point is that there's chaos, you know. And um, so we have this chasm. Um, yeah, one more part of the chasm I'd like to mention is, is the mystery, the mystery component um, where uh, God has revealed himself in nature, in, in creation. He's revealed himself in scripture. He's revealed himself to uh, believers by the Holy Spirit, but... He, there's still mystery shrouding a lot. And it's, and it's to be a human being and to not have answers to big questions, some of them we were touching on last week, um, it's very dissettling. And um, it's, I, I, what I want to point out is I think it's just, it is part of 
that God is holy and perfect and pure. And we have um, rebelled. And the result is a separation. Um, when I, I teach the third graders, but then I had a bunch of my own third graders, so like I had training for this. But, um, and I used to say to them, uh, you know, the magnitude of the crime is in part determined by the stature of the offended party. So, let's say you, you're on the playground and you kick your friend in the shins. And they go and tell their mom, and then their mom calls your mom, and it's like, oh, you got in trouble. You know, you can't kick people. But let's say you kick the principal in the shins. Well, now you're in a different, well, of course, well, maybe today that would be okay. They'd be like, oh, kick me again. <laughs> when I was growing up, that would be really bad. We got paddled, y'all. Like, seriously, like, like, assume the position. I am not kidding. At least they had to call my mom. She's like, yes, paddle him. Um, but imagine it's Ronald Reagan came and spoke in the Fairfield Green when I was in high school and we all went and imagine that you somehow broke through all the security people and you get in there and you just kick the president of the United States in the shins as hard as you can I don't I think you just vanish if you do that. They like put you in a they put you in like a black car and then you're gone. Like, you know, where did he go? I don't know, but you can't kick the president in the shins. And I think imagine kicking the god of the universe literally giving the double birds to the god of the universe. Like so there's a chasm. I mean, it's serious. I mean, it, it, it's so serious that, you know, just the fact that we get up every day and everyone we know is going to be dead in like 80 years. I mean, and then we, the things we quibble over are almost absurd when you take a step back and say, this is, the chasm is real and, and the signs of it are everywhere. So now what I want to do is talk about, as Christians, about Jesus bridging the gap of that chasm. And then I want to give some encouragement. I, I, I want to... I want to throw some verses on the table and, and have a discussion to encourage us um, because what I'm going to say about Jesus is going to be familiar. And then there's a big, and yet, the chasm, the chasm remains because of our place on the timeline. Right? And... So let's talk about 
Jesus, Jesus bridging the chasm. I'm just going to read a couple passages, and maybe in light of what we talked about already, they'll have a, a, a particular saltiness. Um, so in the Gospel of Mark, we have this simple but profound uh, couple of verses. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What was the curtain in the temple about? Yeah, why? Because we're not. Yeah, so we pause for one second and just do a minute of... The, the, the temple being God is, is, is like both, it's both and it's God hasn't abandoned humanity, even though we kicked him in the shins in the garden. And but he can't just come down like here I am in all my holiness, we would all just burn into we'd all incinerate. And so there was, you know, an elaborate system of barriers and that included these purity laws that have to do with our uh, uh, our cleanliness of our being not not nec- not just going out and openly sinning but doing things in ordinary life that that God said yeah if you touch this thing, which you have to touch because it's part of life, now you're unclean in your being and you have to be made clean again by doing these things over here. Well, the point being that God is teaching us that we need a, a, a cleansing and we need to be pure if we're going to come into his presence. And even our representatives have to be like super pure. And, and you know, there's a, there's a literal curtain this far and no further. So somehow when Jesus died, that curtain was no longer needed. It came down. And then listen to this from Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So, the chasm has been breached by... Jesus providing for our cleanliness and dealing with what our sins deserve. By the way, next week I am we're going to take on grace. So so we kind of did it on purpose, like holiness and then grace and mercy which are different. But anyway, So, 
I, I don't, I think I'm just going to stop there because I think we, we're all, I think everyone in this room is a professing believer. If not, sorry, see me after class. Um, and I want to move on to the, and yet, we still experience much of the chasm that one day we will not experience if God's promises are true. For example, we're going to physically die. Like, it's just always out there, but we're going to physically die. Our bodies get sick. Our relationships are tortured messes under the hood. There's still mystery everywhere. You know, God commands us to believe in Jesus. He holds us responsible for believing in Jesus. And he tells us, but we have to be born again to even see any of it, to even be awake, to choose Jesus. And he, he tells us we're responsible in Romans 9. And then when we get to the end, it's like, I'm God. And you don't get to come up here and come behind my curtain and put me in the dock on this. You're just going to have to trust me. But that's hard, right? I mean, it's a mystery that mysteries remain. There's existential turmoil everywhere, even for believers. And sometimes, even especially for believers, do we encounter the disdain of other human beings who are also in their muck and mire because of this chasm. And we're like, here's a, like, here's a buoy. And like, ugh, get your buoy away from me. And you get away from me. And get your laws off my body and just bleh. And so I want to be realistic. And I want to just acknowledge, and I want all of us to acknowledge that to do real business with God and the gospel is not to slap a face on uh, of happiness, an artificial, like, just chin up. Of course, we have resources and, and we have a lot of, I'm not trying to sound like we, we, sh we should be in despair at all. In fact, I want to give a fresh word of encouragement uh, by way of talking about holiness again. Um, the, the Bible does not teach that God is holy and pure and perfect and we kicked him in the shins and we are sinful and we deserve his wrath. And Jesus made a way for us to just have a shield over us and then hide under that shield. And then when it's all said and done, God will let us sit in the back row of heaven, but you made it. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that in a mysterious sense, and I want to be very careful here, but we are to share in the holiness of God. 
And I want to revisit the three categories that, that I put on the table. The first category is this, in our being. So God is God. He created everything. We're not the creator. We're never going to be the creator. But God has a, a holiness in his being that we're invited to, to share in. Let me just read you a few verses um, that hint at this. Um, sorry. Got the wrong papers in front of me. Hang on. Okay, so Peter says, through these, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So in some sense, Christians, through Christ, being united to Christ, being adopted into God's family, partake in the divine nature. Paul says, such were some of you. But you were, past tense, washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He says elsewhere, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Jesus said to the disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Paul says, For God has chosen us in Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. So I'm going to stop here and I just want to say, this is where it actually becomes important that we do have some categories for a word like holy because if we only think of holy in terms of our moral performance then it's hard to square with some of a lot of these amazing passages that refer to our holiness as a status you might say or as a part of who we are because we're in Christ. So maybe we can be holy rollers. That was the name of the... I play adult kickball, so don't judge me for that. But, uh, you know, everyone had a pun on either kicking or, you know, you roll the ball. So they were the holy rollers, a bunch of uh, folks from the Catholic Church. Um, so in a sense we share in or we partake in God's divine nature 
as believers, and it's impossible to avoid the timeline. Do you, do you hear the timeline? It's, there's, there's already and not yet is the theologian's way, right? But already we're pure. We, without being born again, we can't even see the kingdom of God. So if we see it and we're however lamely putting our faith in Christ and bowing the knee and begging for forgiveness, we're participating in the divine nature and we are in some mysterious sense seen as pure by our Father. So I find that to be very encouraging uh, when we're still in the middle of the chasm, the distance Okay, we also share in God's righteousness. We share in his moral, he's morally perfect, and he's inviting us into a combination of being reckoned morally righteous, but a call to live out that moral righteousness. This is just a very hard thing to talk about. We, I think we all know this. But listen to these verses. Paul says in Romans, But now that you have been set free from sin and have, been, have become slaves to God, the fruit you reap leads to holiness, and the outcome is eternal life. So here, here the timeline. Now we, we have a forward-looking aspect to that particular thought. Elsewhere, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That might have gone in the first category, but let's move on. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You ever read Bible words and they just turn into Bible words and they're just like a little piece of cardboard that hangs off your forehead and you're just like, oh yeah, glory and God's kingdom and yeah, I'm going to read this again. Hold on. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and calls you into his glory. You know... This is future looking, but man, is there hope there to sustain us as our friends die, as our co we're in a mess with our, like as we're in the grind of the chasm that still remains. Man, this is some amazing hope, right? And then Peter simply says that. 
God says, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. God first establishes us. He makes us clean. He washes us. We're passive in that regard. And then he's like, you're in the family now, and this is how the family rolls. Come joyfully participate. It's a privilege, right, to, t- to try to strive to take that path. It will not be a privilege if we get this timeline out of order. It will be yet another burden if we don't see that God has cleansed us, that the blood of Jesus is potent enough to cover us and establish us and make us children. And then we're called in to follow God in being good. And it's good to be good. (laughs) I've wrestled with this for a long time. But it's good to be good and have a pathway open to being good. You know, we're familiar with God saying, no one can please me at all apart from faith. And I read that to mean any goodness that we do apart from recognizing faith in Jesus where we're cleansed and where the the curtains come down isn't goodness that's going to count. Um, So now this last one, kind of on my own out here. This is where we'll see what Pastor Matt says. But uh, so we share in God's glory In some sense, we share in God's divine nature. We share in God's righteousness, his moral perfection. We share in it. We're invited into it. And in some sense, we share in God's glory. A few verses for you. So this is Jesus praying in John, uh, Gospel of John, I, I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, And in them, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. I mean, whatever that means, it doesn't mean that we're going to just get into heaven by the skin of our teeth and we're in the back of the bus because we kick God in the shins and he loves us enough to not, to not separate from us for forever. But 
you're going to have to stay away. In fact, not only does it feel like we're being invited into the room, but through Jesus, I mean, the words fail you, you know, but being brought in, like truly being brought in. And God's glory is God's glory. And if he's going to bring us in and graft us in, and somehow we're in the middle of that glory, that goodness. Um, this should have sustaining power. And listen, you got many people in this room know me well, and they, know, they hear the way I talk. And I'm preaching to myself up here, but it should fuel our hope when we look at this few more. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So... The chasm's real. The grind is real. We're in the wilderness season still. And by the way, the wilderness season, they're all over Scripture. Literally, they are literally all over the Scriptures. This season of trust me, trust me, my grace is sufficient for you in this season, but you're still in the season. And so I hope that, you know, contemplating the holiness of God for Christians, it can, it can, be, a re, it can be an amazing rejuvenating thing, not a depressing thing. Okay, I've done so much talking, and that's not how you're supposed to do Sunday school. But it's just a big topic. Next week, I hope to be a little more interactive. Thoughts, questions, comments? Um, when you talked about separateness, uh, you know, I thought of the phrase I've heard, uh, God is wholly other 
some people say, ah, oh, that's, you know, the base meaning of, of the word holiness. Um, but uh, then God says to us, be holy, because I'm holy. So uh, the first time I put those together, I said, ah, uh, whatever God's holiness is, it's communicable to us, you know, to some extent. Thank you. Yes. I'd like for that dot to be connected. One of my favorite passages of scriptures is in the Gospel of Luke, where he describes the encounter of Jesus at the house of Mary and Martha. And I, there's so much that is captured right there. What you just said, Matt, be holy. Mary was made holy in that moment, I believe, by the way that she worshipped. When she knew that she would be held and gazed upon by Christ, and she offered her life, her, there, that was holiness, I believe. Her holiness, holiness was being restored, I believe, in that moment. That's how I see it. All right, well, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for not leaving us alone to go our own way and to be far from you forever. And we simply pray that you would increase our faith be real to us. Help us to see things rightly and to cling to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.